You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the To and Out CFL Podcast. He's got it! Oh, baby! Every week, Travis Kura. That's Greg Cupney, which is a different person. And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Oh, nearly intercepted it is! And it's over! Ready, set, hunt! And welcome to this episode of the Two and Out CFL podcast as we near episode 400. We still don't have an intern to do the editing and all that other stuff, Ty. Or to, like, feed me (laughs) painkillers. I guess when you're, like, four weeks, five weeks after surgery. Almost six, and now now it's not, like, now it's the abs that are killing me. Oh, yeah, and what's important when you golf? Your core. Core, yeah. yeah. Ty just making great decisions. I swung I swung the club maybe 20 times today and we'll see how that goes tomorrow. Yeah. You always got to wait with bated breath until the morning. Yeah. <laughs> how are we going to do? D- delayed onset muscle soreness, my old friend. <laughs> and on this episode of uh, Two and Out, we'll be joined by John Hodge from 3downnation.com. We'll be talking about the CFL draft that happened this week. Some other items uh, of note in the Canadian Football League as well. But as you can tell, Ty and I are in a hockey mood as well, although that feels weird with it being 27 degrees and half of Alberta covered in a, a, a light blanket smoke of smoke. And fire. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, but, it's so nothing's changed. But let's play from hockey. last spring. <laughs> yeah. And, hey, my, my, my draft team is loaded up with eight Devils and four Oilers. So... so. It was looking dicey for both. (laughs) I was blaming you. Devils are going to get swept against the Rangers. I'm like, what are they doing? Why why is your team like this? (laughs) And even the Oilers. Timo Meyer. Me and Timo Meyer together have zero playoff points. (laughs) San Jose Sharks legend looking to turn into a Devils legend. Did anybody anybody get that license plate? That truck that ran him over? Holy. Yeah. Woof. But here we are. Round two is underway. We'll get to John Hodge right now and talk about CFL draft and more things on 2 and Out. And uh, joining the show right now from 3downnation.com is John Hodge. Uh, Thanks for coming on. We always like to bring you on right around draft time. But some CFL news, I just wanted to go through it with you and see where you're at with this stuff. Uh, Last week, the CFL announcing the partnership with uh, CBS Sports, and they're sure trying to push it. A lot of mileage gained from uh, this news. Is Is it a big deal as it seems like they're trying to perceive it as? Well, I think that it is a step up from what they had. Yeah. My sources indicate that the old deal with ESPN paid in the neighborhood of a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars a year for the CFL, which in the grand scheme of things, when you're getting fifty million dollars a year from TSN, is not a lot of money, right? I, I hesitate to call it meaningless, but it's it's pretty close to meaningless. The deal was about exposure and getting more American eyeballs on Canadian television. 
this is a step in the right direction for the CFL. I wouldn't call it a solution. I wouldn't call it a watershed moment for the CFL on American television. But I, what I would say is with TSN reporting that this deal is worth a million bucks annually for the CFL is they've in a relatively short amount of time managed to five or 10 X their pre-existing deal. And if they're able to do that again in a few years, they will theoretically be able to, to do that again. And and then all of a sudden, okay, now we've got a meaningful amount of money, a really meaningful amount of money flowing to the CFL's coffers from South of the border. I know one thing that's very encouraging for me, at least in what CBS has, has told the the fans north and south of the border through the CFL is that they're going to actually promote these games. And that's something that has been a big challenge for American viewers. I hear it from people all the time south of the border. I love the CFL. I just wish I knew where to watch it because in years past, ESPN would throw the game on one of their random channels and they've got a ton of them between their, their traditional TV channels and their streaming services. And they do it at the last minute and they wouldn't tell anybody which game was where. And if CBS is able to promote the CFL games and build a consistent schedule that Americans can kind of plan some of their uh, summer evenings around, then uh, hopefully viewership will increase. And if viewership increases, then that's right how the money will theoretically increase in the future. So I think it's a step in the right direction, but I'd call it more of a single than a home run. A bunt single? Not a bunt single, though, like a legit like hard hit ball. <laughs> yeah, I, it, it's progress. It's progress, yeah. boys. It's it's not uh, it it's it's not revolutionary, but it's progress. Yeah, and, and you mentioned money and and how that the ownership is of all nine teams are obviously going to really enjoy that, especially with the last couple of years that we've had and with the COVID losses and everything. We saw it with Montreal and their situation. Is there any other situations ownership wise around the league that we should be worried about or that are worth not worth watching but need to look for well i think the team i mean i mean everyone's always concerned about toronto the good Mm -hmm. news is that mlse has some of the world's deepest pockets and i know that from the sources i've talked to the the argos were fully funded through covid we all know that the argos need to do a better job of marketing themselves in the city and boosting attendance but those are problems that are not going to uh you know get fixed overnight the I, I think obviously what Amar Doman is doing in BC is incredible, especially the way that recently he's worked to rally around the cries to save SFU's football team. Simon Fraser obviously mm-hmm. recently announced the elimination of their football program. Amar Doman has put his money where his mouth is and uh, been an incredible leader for some of the stakeholders in that community and, and really helped this become a national rallying cry to save this team. Is it going to work? Um, I mean, the, the movement Boys, seems I'm, pretty strong. I, I'm, op- yeah. I'm optimistic it will. As we're recording this podcast, they are waiting for a ruling on the injunction that was filed in the BC Supreme Court. That hearing ended late Monday, and um, a source close to the situation told me they're expecting about 48 hours for a result oh, okay. to come out. Um, and there's optimism that the longer it takes to make a decision, the better the chances are that the Supreme Court will uh, rule on behalf of the players and and hopefully reinstitute that team. So that remains to be seen. Right now, we're just waiting for a legal ruling to come down, which is not terribly exciting, but um, we'll see, depending on on which way the decision is made. But I think Pierre-Carl Pelado, with his billions of dollars and his deep ties to the media in Quebec, is a great move for the Montreal Alouettes. I know some people had reservations about his separatist political past, 
And my answer to that is show me a billionaire who doesn't have some interesting political viewpoints. Um, I don't think you become a billionaire without having what some people might call eccentric or even problematic political viewpoints. One need only go on Twitter and check out some of the things that have been occurring with that social media app to maybe see what some of the political viewpoints are of certain billionaires. So I think all in all, it's a home run for the CFL with Pierre Carapelado, who who provides not only, again, super deep pockets, almost MLSE type deep pockets for that club, but also provides the Alouettes with local ownership for the first time in forever. The one team mm-hmm. I will highlight as maybe one that's a problem, and Ryan Ballantyne wrote a great article for Three Down off of this. He also oh, had yeah. Jay McNeil on his show, the uh, formerly known as CFL Horseman, now the Ghost Amps Go Show, where they talked about how McMahon Stadium was not a mirage last year with it being so empty. That is a, a stadium that used to be much more full than it than it is now. They've lost 30% of their season ticket holders over the last six, seven years and 25% since the pandemic in 2019. So that's a team that I think needs to rebuild. Obviously, they also need a new building. McMahon Stadium at this point is not only the worst building in the CFL, I think it's the worst by a pretty considerable margin. It might be um, the worst I, sports, like, stadium yeah. in, in, like, four professional sports in Canada, like, not just football. Yeah, maybe North America, right? Yeah. Like, I haven't been to every American park, but, like, once the Oakland Athletics move, like, yeah. I think that's the yeah. consensus worst <laughs> in the United States. McMahon's yeah. probably up there. I mean, they're, apparently they're, a lot of fans are using... Up. Yeah, like apparently lots of fans are using porta potties during the game, which I had no idea. I've never Jeez. been to a game in McMahon Stadium. And Jay McNeil, yeah. their new vice president of business operations, said he's like, "We're going to try to eliminate that as soon as possible," um, which is great that that's an immediate goal. But obviously, there's lots of things that you can't do at McMahon Stadium to fix that venue. You just at some point have to throw a stick of dynamite and call a priest and and just get it done with and move on to the next new building. So hopefully that happens. Um, but by and large, I think the CFL is in a good position ownership wise. I think that the rising tides in the NFL have and, and other sports leagues have helped the CFL in that regard, because as potential owners get priced out of ever owning an NHL team or owning an NFL team or even uh, something like an MLS team, you have rich people or rich corporations going, hey, well, why not a CFL team? And and that is something that I think has really helped the Canadian Football League. This uh, offseason has been different than the last couple, at least for me, and maybe because I've made a conscious effort to avoid Twitter as much as possible. I'm not getting the doom and gloom sense <laughs> this offseason <laughs> than the last couple of years. Is that fair? <laughs> I I mean, I, the last the last few years have obviously been doom and gloom for the CFL with the pandemic, and, and yeah. there were a ton of challenges for this league with the pandemic, but I will commend you about Twitter because Twitter is a place that nobody should ever go. And it's something that (laughs) no one should ever look at or read. And unfortunately, many of us, you know, in media as the three of us are, of course, Mm -hmm. even just on this podcast are somewhat obligated to be part of, but um, yeah, no, Twitter is a, uh, it's a barren hellscape that no one should spend any time on. If, if, if Twitter, how dare you speak ill of Jock Cartier? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's been good for I my like head Jack i'll admit that <laughs> yeah no i i i, yeah. I 100 get where you're coming from and twitter don't yeah. get me wrong twitter can be a, a tool yeah. that is useful and it can be a source of good 
but it seems to be getting worse all worse and worse all the time. The draft was uh, just yesterday as to when we're recording this uh, podcast. And before that, of course, was the NFL draft. And we had several Canadians uh, getting NFL opportunities. It just seems like more and more Canadians are making more noise in the world of football every single year. Well, we had five drafted in the NFL this year. That's pretty incredible. Like, that's a record. Four had happened a couple times. And um, we got to five. And then we also had two guys get signed as UDFAs. We had Jonathan Sutherland out of Penn State who went to the Seattle Seahawks. I don't think he got a lot of guaranteed money. I, I think it's been reported or or maybe it's been speculated he got about 10 grand. Um, not a lot of money, not a lot of assurance. That said, you can always make a team. Who knows? Pierre-Olivier Lestage made made the team out of Montreal a few years ago for at least one year. If they'll, if they'll take a kid from Montreal, surely they'll take a kid from Penn state. Yeah. And then the other one mm-hmm. is Jared Wayne who, who got over 200 K guaranteed from the Houston Texans, which is a huge vote of confidence. And it's also a team that doesn't have a lot in the way of offensive weaponry. Yep. Um, John Mechie, the third was a second round pick there last year. Didn't play this past year because leukemia, he's hopefully going to factor to that offense for that team. With uh, their new, you know, franchise quarterback C.J. Stroud out of Ohio State, they took second overall. But Jared Wayne, that's you know that that's a that's a big commitment for that mm-hmm. team as a UDFA to, uh, to 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 guarantee him that amount of money. So this is, I think, the best year ever for Canadians in the NFL, and that's that's an exciting thing for for football in in Canada. Obviously, I know there's CFL CFL fans every year who who kind of bemoan like, "Oh, like imagine that town north of the border." And I totally get that. But I also think it's a heck of an advertisement for kids in this country, young people in this country to get involved with the game because for every, you know, 10,000 kids who pick up the game um in this country probably one or, or less than one will make the NFL, but there might be 10 who make the CFL, and that's a pretty good return on investment. It always seemed like there were teams willing to, even if they got drafted or opportunities in the NFL, willing to draft them pretty high in the CFL draft. Did, didn't see it that much this year, did we? Well, I think part of the issue was the, the draft class this year was a little bit lackluster. It's not the strongest mm. draft class we've ever seen. And so if you're a CFL team, you know, in a strong draft year, you might see uh, an NFL UDFA go as late as as round three. For example, like Carter O'Donnell was a pretty recent example of that. He he was signed by the Indianapolis Colts after going unselected in the 2020 NFL draft. And he went into the third round to the Alouettes. This year was a bit of a different story, right? We saw Jonathan Sutherland go at five. We saw Jared Wayne go at 16. And so if it was a deeper class, you you probably see Sutherland go round two. You probably see Wayne go round three. As it is, though, no disrespect to the guys in this year's draft. There is still a lot of talent to be had. I think that's the reason why we saw teams a little bit more willing to roll the dice um, from a CFL standpoint on NFL UDFAs. It's like, okay, if we're not getting... You know, if the player we're getting at five is is a little weaker than we might normally get at five, why not take why not take the NFL kid who we think we can get in a year from now, or we think we could even get by September, right? If he's cut mm-hmm. by his NFL team, uh, rather than taking somebody who in a normal year might be a second round pick, or in a normal year might be a an early third round pick, that kind of thing. And and there's always those guys that 
surprise you like with how late they go? Or is there guys that surprise you with how early they went this year in the draft? I wouldn't say there were any big surprises towards the top of the draft. Um, the the one guy that was a surprise is is actually the opposite of what you asked, Ty. Sorry, is Evan Florin, the offensive lineman out of Queens. Sideway, I was I, probably going to be the next one anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Evan Florin, and, and like, I had him in the first round of my mock draft, and that's not because I thought he was a first-round talent. I had him in the in round two, three as a talent, but every year in the CFL draft, there are offensive linemen who talent-wise should probably go round two, three, who end up going round one just based off need. And this year's offensive mm-hmm. line class was not deep, right? We had Matthew Bergeron and City Sal get drafted by the NFL. You know, Bergeron didn't even get picked. City Sal, I think, went round six to the Riders. They'll probably never see him, but why not claim his rights that late? Evan Florin, um, again, I mocked in round one. He went round seven, which I was shocked about. Um, I don't know if there's some skeleton in his closet that I'm not aware of or if he or or what's going on. But he was a guy who was a second team, U Sports All-Canadian, for a very good Queens Golden Gales team, a team that ran the ball really well. And um, he tested not brilliantly at the combine, but tested better than a lot of guys who got picked ahead of him. So I was shocked to see him fall that far. The Riders got him, and I think that's a coup for them because obviously the Riders, anybody who watched them play last season knows they need to help They need to help along the offensive line, and he's a guy who I think can, can provide some of that help. Um, I'm going to try to spend the next little bit talking to my sources, try to figure out. So what was what was it with Evan Florida? Because evidently it's something that I missed through my process, so that's something I strive to do is to – improve year to year for my draft analysis and my ability to assess players. And he's, he's the one guy who in my mock, I really missed on. I, I hit some picks. I got really close in other picks. He was the outlier. Uh, one guy who I might highlight is going a little bit sooner than I thought he would was Jake Kelly out of bishops. He went 15 to the Winnipeg blue bombers. Kyle Walters spoke to the media at IG field this morning. I was at the availability and he basically said, and I appreciated his honesty. You know, a lot, a lot of teams, every year say, oh, we're just going to take the best player available. And mm-hmm. then miraculously, the best player available happens to fit every need that they have yeah. along the way. <laughs> yeah. um, he was just honest. And he was like, we 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 wanted a D lineman. We wanted a DB. We wanted a receiver. And we thought that would be the best kind of route to go to get those positions based on the depth of the draft. And so had uh, a guy like Mount Allison's Lucas Cormier been there at 15, they probably would have taken him. He went 10 to Ottawa. Jackson Ford, excellent DB out of Regina. Had he been there at 15, I'm sure the riders take him. He was off the board of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at 11. So to to me, when, when you see a number of DBs go and then Jake Kelly's the last one, you know, I, I'm not sure he's a second round pick. I will say he's a physical freak. He won the testing at the CFL combine for the vertical jump, left 40.5 inches. Uh, that's like three and a half feet. That's pretty insane. He also ran a four, five, six, 40. Um, he is a raw physical specimen. And um, clearly the bombers have, have high expectations for what he can develop into. Um, personally, I would have put him in round three, four talent wise he goes 15th overall so maybe he's a player who goes early but you can't argue with with his raw athleticism mm-hmm. he's one of the one of the best raw athletes in the draft regardless of position and that's even including a lot of the NFL guys overall what would you say about the defense or the uh 
um, development of offensive linemen in Canada because uh, the, the way I see it with the game over the past several years, it's like the D-lines are taking over and they're manhandling the offensive line and it's kind of affecting the quarterback play, which uh, I think uh, affects the kind game. Of? <laughs> yeah, it affects the <laughs> overall, I think, excitement of offense and what the CFL really brings to the table. And this is a weaker offensive line class uh, that you mentioned. Um, what's what's happening? I feel like it's some sort of trend creeping into the CFL uh, with offensive linemen kind of not or being a little bit behind the curve to their defensive counterparts. Well, I'll say this first. This is not just a CFL problem. This is a mm-hmm. this is a, a global problem. It seems this is something that has affected the NFL. Is the lack of quality big men who can who can play the offensive line position? And I know something I've I've read or heard people speculate is is part of the problem is just the prevalence of the spread offense back in the day when every every passing play was a seven step drop and a quarterback going through three, four reads, you needed offensive linemen who could really block. And some people seem to be of the opinion that with the spread offense, when, when, you know, the goal is to scheme your first read open every single time, regardless almost of who that receiver is um, not relying maybe as much on skill, but relying on scheme to get somebody open when the first read is always available and you're getting the ball out in 1.5 seconds you don't need guys who can block as well, right? You, you yeah. can just kind of have a big body and and have them do their thing. And and the spread offense is completely taken over, for better or worse. It's completely taken over college football and in many aspects pro football. So that's that's again me reiterating an opinion that I've come across. Um, as far as my own personal opinion, I, I do think that offensive line play has dropped off a little bit. That being said, every time I talk to a scout or or a team personnel guy through the draft process about how this year's draft class is not very good for offensive linemen, they tell me about how amazing next year's draft class is oh. for offensive linemen. So as much as the D linemen own this year's draft, we had four in the first round. Usually it would be the opposite, right? We'd have four yeah. O linemen in the first round, maybe one D lineman. Um, I think the O linemen in the CFL draft will be uh We'll be making a comeback next year as a bunch of guys. And 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 I think, by the way, that was reflected in how some teams made their picks is they said, okay, look, we're not going to overdraft somebody this year because as long as we can get through 2023, we know we can get a blue chip guy in 2024. Well, that, that's that's some good news then. Now, last year I noticed, and maybe it's because I'm more plugged in and I'm watching every game and paying attention to who's the rookies, but it seemed like there were draft guys immediately making impacts, whether it was on specials or even on offense or defense. What are some of those draftees that are going to be making impacts in 2023, maybe early on in the season? Well, we'll start with the number one overall pick, Dante Bull has a broken leg that he suffered about he's he's about six months post-surgery right now he should be healthy relatively early in the regular season but he's not going to be healthy at least not fully for training camp and probably not for week one that said he's a player who i think is pretty plug and play in the cfl potentially even at tackle the ottawa red blacks you know i i don't think their offensive tackles who they're projected to start this year are necessarily dominant um, Dino Boyd is the starting right tackle right now. Could Dante Bull take his job? I don't think that's completely out of the question. Um, 
maybe it's an injury. Uh, you, you don't know. But I think Dante Bull is a guy who you're going to see make an impact on Ottawa's offensive line this year. Dante Bull is not, you know, so, sometimes we talk about teams drafting offensive linemen as projects or guys who are yeah. like big balls of clay and you can develop and turn whatever you want. That is not Dante Bull. Dante Bull is a, he has 33 starts at a power five school. He's played against some of the best players in college football. 2021, he started against Kayvon Thibodeau when uh, when Fresno State played Oregon. Kayvon Thibodeau, for those who don't follow the NFL, was the fifth overall pick in the 2022 NFL draft to the New York Giants. So like he's, he's played against literally some of the best uh, pass rushers in the world. He's not a guy who you're drafting to, you know, get, you know, way, way, way better mm-hmm. over the course of the next few seasons. He's a guy who you draft to plug and play. Will he improve? Probably, but he, he's closer to a finished product right now than he is to to a project. I'll put it that way. Uh, Michael Brodrick, number two to the Elks. He's going to be a monster on teams from right away. Lake Corte Moore for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, same thing. I think he's going to contribute on teams. I think he's going to rotate heavily along that defensive line. The middle of Saskatchewan's defensive line between, you look at a guy like Micah Johnson who's been around forever, even Anthony Lanier. Anthony Lanier's only been in the CFL for two years, but he's already in his 30s because he spent a lot of time playing in the NFL. To me, this is the Riders going, okay, in a year or two, we want to change one of our two defensive tackle spots to a Canadian spot. And we're going to use Lake Corte more to help that happen. So to me, if I'm the Riders, I want to get him in games as much as possible. And one other guy I'll highlight, he's fourth overall, Calgary Stampeders Cole Tucker. Literally moments before we sat down to record the show, boys, the, the Stampeders announced that Jalen Philpot, who was great as a rookie last year, yeah. suffered a serious hamstring injury while trading in March. He had to undergo surgery, which to me means if he's playing this year, he's missing a lot of time. Mm-hmm. I don't want to put a timeline on it because the team didn't put a timeline on it, but I would be skeptical that he's going to be available till at least Labor Day. So if I'm the Stampeders and I had Jalen <laughs> Philpott penciled in as my starter at slot, all of a sudden by drafting a guy like Cole Tucker, who is very productive with the Huskies at Northern Illinois, and for CFL fans, Juwan Breskison was a second-round pick in 2016 to the Stampeders out of Northern Illinois, very good receiver, well, Cole Tucker beat all of his production. More mm-hmm. catches, more yards, more touchdowns with the Huskies. Same school, another Canadian, uh, but but beat all of Breskison's production. So he's somebody who I think could get into the lineup quickly with the Stampeders, partly because I think he's very good, but then also partly because, guess what? There's a spot already open right now in that starting lineup, and um, I think he's in the perfect position to step up and and claim that starting job. You kind of mentioned the guys that fell in the draft, but is there somebody late in those late rounds? Like, I don't even know if you'd call four, but like maybe like five, six, seven, eight, that could step in and actually become a regular in the the lineup. Like maybe not next year, but you're going to look back and be like, that was a steal. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll look at Clark Barnes kind of for the same reason. He, he's a very explosive receiver. The only issue is he got hurt a lot at the university level. He went 24th overall to the Stampeders. You know, Phil Potts' injury is going to help him move up the depth chart right away. Mm-hmm. Barnes, if if he'd played every game that he was eligible for at Guelph, he probably goes early second round, maybe even sneaks into the first. Instead, he goes mid-third round and is a great positional fit for that team. Um, another player I'll highlight, you mentioned fourth-round tie, Theo Grant out of Queens. He's an offensive lineman who is a project, but I think he's a project who could work out. He He tested very well at the Combine. Again, part of a very good offensive line with the Golden Gales. 
The issue is he's 280 pounds, so he needs to spend a year in the gym, and he needs to spend a year in the cafeteria at Queen's. <laughs> packing the food back I'm and for that. i think he's yeah. exactly it's something that i'm familiar with as well <laughs> is uh is, is is packing the food away so he's a player who i think could be good he just needs to go away for a year i think like he's going to mm-hmm. be sent back to school that's my suspicion at least um and uh provided that he's able to do that and and you know grow his body and, and continue growing i think he could be uh an impact player for the alouettes not for for 2023, maybe not even for 2024, but he could potentially develop into a starter, I think, for them. And my, my last one is the global draft. Is it having the desired effect? Because to me, I don't think the league saw a team <laughs> taking two punters, one of which is 36 years old. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I had to do it. I had to do it. Uh, I'll say this. I I. I don't personally report on the global draft okay, outside yeah. of tweeting a couple of basic yeah. um, additions. Um, the global program as a whole um, was designed as a way for the CFL to increase revenue through the form of mm-hmm. TV deals in these various countries. And to that, I will say Bermuda, if you want to watch a 36 year old punter <laughs> from your country play in the CFL, Maybe. Please email the league office or different cable providers and ask them to provide that service to you. And um, if if enough people step up, then maybe it'll happen someday. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, all the global program is is an extra step for personnel guys across the league. I shouldn't say guys, mm-hmm. personnel people across the league to deal with and many of them to be quite honest don't like the program and they kind of blow it off and they do that out of frustration um for rooms being smaller than they've ever been and by that i mean like the operations cap limiting the number of people they can hire to run drafts and to scout and do all the work that needs to be done and also diminishes the pay right you've got guys working for less money than they made five and ten years ago Mm -hmm. uh, but their workload is doubled and right. to that, you might say, well, but that's the job and you got to be competitive and you got to take these picks seriously. And that's not an inappropriate opinion to have. But I also do feel for the guys who are making the picks where it's like, OK, um, the the draft pool. You'll, you'll notice, by the way, this year's draft is only two rounds and years past. The draft has been three or even four rounds. I think that's a reflection of the talent pool, um, because honestly, a lot of these guys, they especially since the first days of the global comp or the global program, they've realized they never play, or at least most teams don't play them. And why would you give up a job? Like, like let's say you're playing in the European league of football. You know, a lot of these guys, I don't know the exact numbers. My colleague, JC Abbott would be a better resource for this. He's a big global draft nut, but a lot of these guys can make like 30,000, maybe not 30,000, but they can make like 20,000 euros a year playing football. And they can do that while doing their full-time job, as something else where they're making 60,000 euros. So you're making 80,000 euros a year, which is like 120 K Canadian to play football and do another job. And you're asking them, Hey, with a week's notice, because let's remember the global draft is on May 2nd and camps, rookie camps open on May 10th. Yeah. So in the span of a week, are you willing to quit your job, leave your football team and play professional football in Canada for half the money. And also you're a star on your European team and you can go be a bench warmer in Canada. 
Mm-hmm. That that is why this program is struggling. If the money was better or the opportunity was better, you'd probably see more guys be interested. But for right now, it is kind of the parade of the punters, and that's that's a big part of what I think has held this program back. It's and and every time Randy Ambrosi's asked about it, I asked him about a Grey Cup. He talks about how this is not a you know a, a short term thing. This is a long term project. And to that, I will say, okay, well, maybe in 30 years, this thing will be kicked, will be kicking. But so far, it it feels like it's still very much in an, in its infancy mm-hmm. four or five years later. Read more of John Hodge's work on 3downnation.com and the barren wasteland of Twitter at John D. Hodge. One of the bright spots of my timeline. <laughs> and thanks for coming on the show today, John. Thanks for having me, boys. Anytime. Thanks again to John Hodge for coming on the show, noticing uh, the Grey Cup economic activity in Canada neared $70 million with the 109th Grey Cup. Uh, we'll see what's happening this year in Hamilton again. I'm, uh, I've am i been wondering, when are those tickets going on sale? I'm wondering if Hamilton fans, uh, like the pressure is on in Hamilton, right? Yeah, like, I mean, <laughs> after what happened two years ago, Oh, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, they they won a great cup last year, so I don't see why there is so much pressure. That's a good point. That's a good point. Two teams exceeded the salary cap in 2022. Oh, four teams. We just talked about this. Yeah, we did just talk about it. You're right. (laughs) Um, Including the two great cup uh, participants. So, uh, surprise, surprise. But what do you like this Montreal going, what, almost $800 over? Yeah. <laughs> hey, come on. That's pretty impressive. 800 That's bucks. <laughs> That's but about eight footballs. Time, yeah, at the same time, we got to stop calling the cap. Yeah, it's a, it's a luxury well, tax. It is a luxury tax. And uh, the tax worked out for Toronto and Winnipeg, although Winnipeg would have liked it to work out a little bit better. But it did get Toronto... Okay. Was it Winnipeg that said it, or was it Toronto's gym that said it? Like, we're not going. Like, yeah, we we went over, but we weren't going to sacrifice putting a competitive team on the field because of injuries. Yeah. yeah. So, like, as a fan, you kind of have to appreciate that that they're not doing what the Devils did years ago and putting fifteen skaters on the ice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with the Kovalchuk thing. Yeah, uh, like, yeah, like, yeah, that. Yeah, it's cheating, but it's not because it's not a cap. It's a luxury tax. The same thing happens in baseball. Yep. It is what it is. They're paying the penalty, and we'll move on. Yep, exactly. I got no problem with it. Uh, your boy, Richie Sandan- Sindani, is now a Hamilton Tiger Cat. I feel Not like my if boy no more. Because <laughs> he's a Tiger Cat. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like you, you always have a guy. Taylor Loeffler used to be that guy, mm-hmm. but judging by how many times Sindani was in a Brazilian tie fantasy lineup. All but one week, I think. <laughs> it's so cheap. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Nick Taylor, the veteran DB, last with Winnipeg, is now going to Calgary. So I think now you're caught up on CFL news. Rookie camp in one week. Yeah, this is insane. And I'm home. Oh, well, we didn't mention um, with camps opening up those when the preseason games were announced, like they took preseason games off of TSN. I saw that. And people were losing their minds. 
a couple people made the good point that these games are usually terrible and not a lot of people want to watch it. So well, I don't like I I never want to watch a preseason game. I know it's the wasteland of TV. I mean uh, Twitter. <laughs> but yeah. if there are preseason games on, they'll be complaining about the quality. <laughs> 1000%. There's no winning. What do we do? Yeah. What do we do? Uh, you can rate, review, and subscribe to Two and Out in your favorite podcatcher, as well as YouTube. Our pretty faces. Ty still got the mustache. I'm grayer and grayer on my beard by the. You are minute, married, it seems. so. <laughs> we'll talk to you on YouTube and maybe on Twitter once a week or so. <laughs> Take care of yourself. Camp open soon. We will talk to you right away. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter.